What an incredible opportunity we have this morning to praise God from whom all the blessings that he has sent, whether you have recognized them or not this week, all these blessings have rained down upon you. Uh, I don't know about you, but Sabbath has become a time for me when uh, it, is, it is my favorite time to be thanking God for all that he has done for us. So, I don't know, uh, this series that we're doing, uh, I just wanted to, to see whether any of you have done any homework whatsoever. Okay, so, has anyone noticed, this was homework for last week, has anyone noticed God at work in your community this last week? Brett, you did. You just noticed it. You're not going to tell me, but you just noticed it, okay? Um, anyone notice God using someone unusual that you didn't think was necessarily on God's team, but that you heard something somebody said, or you, you saw something that happened that you thought, that person is doing the will of God, whether they know it or not. Did anyone see something like that? Okay. I know that's, that's a hard thing, but this comes from my understanding of when God says, for example, about Nebuchadnezzar or about Cyrus. These are pagan kings. These are kings who do not profess to be part of the people of God, yet they do things that God asks them to do. Those of us reviewing the five, the five things that, that uh, five nights that Sean Boonstra was with us, by the way, that's just a little ad for you, that uh, we decided in the meetings that we didn't have enough time to talk about everything that we wanted to talk about. So for the next three Sabbaths, we've done it now for two Sabbaths today included, we are going over those presentations by Sean Boonstra again, and we're stopping the video sometimes, and we're, we're uh, making uh, comments to each other about what's going on. So you have another opportunity. If you weren't able to make those meetings, you have another opportunity on Sabbath morning at 9.45 to come join us, or to bring a friend as well, uh, who you might want to hear what Sean had to say. Now, I will counsel you that if you bring a friend, it probably needs to be a friend who has at least a little bit of biblical knowledge. Maybe knows who Daniel is, for example. Um, maybe knows that Daniel was a prophet. That sort of thing. So if you have somebody that you're corresponding with that you would like to bring, that's the sort of person that's going to benefit from these particular studies the most, okay? So coming back to Nebuchadnezzar and uh, also to Cyrus, these are individuals in power who are said to be doing the will of God in our communities and, and, and in our nation today. I think that we should be watching very carefully to see that 
God is at work in our community, in our nation, and he is doing so with the help of either knowing or unknowing individuals who he is employing to do his will in our nation, in our world today. Yes, Brett? The castles. The castles, okay. Um, uh, he's mentioning the castles, and if they're watching, hello, castles. Um, this is a family who were associated with our church a number of years ago who uh, moved to Northern California. Pat has been our representative from our church who has gone and has ministered to this family. If you remember, the father and son had a head-on collision with a drunk driver who was coming in their lane on their side of the road at night. They didn't see him coming, and they crashed into each other, uh, totaling both vehicles. And uh, to my knowledge, Pat, the, the, the driver the, the, of the pickup, uh, he's, he did not die. He is he's still recovering. That's, that's, praise God for that. So no one died in the 60-mile-an-hour head-on collision between a minivan and an F-150. Okay? If you, don't, if you don't believe in God, you might say they're just lucky. But for those of us who believe in, in a God who protects, a God who blesses, uh, we, we see this as, as a miracle of God, that, that he intervened, maybe formed some kind of a cushion. Who knows, maybe there was a big strong angel that, that put out his hand as they collided together and kept them from crushing each other even more than they did because uh, the castle sustained a number of, of pretty bad injuries, mainly in, in, in the legs. Uh, you can imagine because of the front end of the minivan coming in on their knees and, and breaking legs and hips and that sort of thing. Okay? So understand, understand that we can and should be watching for what God is doing in our community. I had the opportunity to go last night to be a part of a gathering concerning family promise, and I met, had the, this, this, this hand shook the hand of someone I consider to be a hero, not because she is super famous, but because she decided in 1978, while she was working, commuting between New Jersey and New York, she decided that, that she could do something about the homeless, and the hungry. And she started taking sandwiches to people in a bus stop, in a big bus stop in New York City. And then she started asking other people if they wanted to help. And then she started seeing homeless people in her area in Summit, New Jersey. And she, she looked for a place to see if she could house these people. And she found that there was no place that she could afford. And so she then went to her fellow citizens, her fellow Americans, and said, hey, you guys go to church, right? They said, could we use your church for one week? And you know the rest of the story. We participate here in this church as being one of the churches of the affiliate of Family Promise. I met the lady last night who is now retired who started Family Promise. 
Now, she's, she, she, you'd, never, you'd see her on the street and you'd think she's a normal person here in Santa Clarita. But she is not normal in the sense that she decided, she decided that she was going to actually give sandwiches out. And then she decided she was going to, to ask other people to help her make sandwiches and give them out. And then she decided there shouldn't be people living on the street and she met, she met people, she formed relationship with people, these fellow Americans of hers, that she decided should not have to suffer the way that they were suffering. So that was your homework last week. So now that I've jogged your memory, can just raise, raise your hand if in the cobwebs of your mind you, you saw somebody or something happen in your world that you know was inspired by God and that somebody was doing something whether they did it for God or not. Okay, see, now it's a little clearer. And that's good because I, I, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to, to help us as a congregation to just be more aware because God is on the move. My, 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 my friend, my wife, she's my friend. Good, she just went out, so she can't hear. She and I helped my son to get interested in uh, Narnia. Okay, don't know what you think of that, but she then took a projector and a... Uh, piece of plastic and drew the outline of the front cover of the book that we bought for my son that had to do with the making of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first book in the Narnia series. It's got a beautiful lion face on the front. And the thing that you notice about it is the eyes, because the eyes are not cat eyes. The eyes are human eyes. And it, you look into those eyes and, and, and you just, you're just mesmerized. She drew the outline on and then she, she took some acrylic paint and she painted this face. She did a really, really good job. I was saying, darling, you, you have hidden your talent under a bushel. She, she was very good. And then she did it in her classroom at school and uh, uh, it was slightly different. Didn't come out exactly the same. That's fine. But she put the words in the same script that were on the book. Aslan is on the move. This was the cry that went throughout Narnia when it was under the, 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 the domination of the white witch. When it was winter all the time. When spring never came. The hopeful phrase that spread throughout the land was Aslan is on the move. My friends, I believe that we as Seventh-day Adventist people have a message of hope. We should be the ones who are pointing out the fact that God is on the move. And guess what? He's using our neighbors, even if they don't know it. If they believe, if they're good people and they want their children to live in good ways, they want their children to, to be good citizens, so to speak, to have good ethics, it only takes just a few questions and you find out that maybe somewhere in their distant past they had contact with a God-fearing 
parent or person who instilled these values in them and they are living now up to that particular way in which they were taught. And they're teaching it to their children, which is a biblical concept. God says, teach them to your children when you stand up, when you sit down, when you go in, when you come out. This is why you can always recognize a Jewish home, yeah? Some of you know this, the, the mezuzah. You come to the door of a Jewish house and there will be this beautiful carved wood or uh, metal uh, little, little scroll holder. And in fact, it does hold a piece of the scripture, this scripture in Deuteronomy that says, teach these things to your children. So they put it on the door as a reminder, and you'll see people going into a house, and sometimes you'll see them go like this. And that is a, 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 re a recognition of the admonition of Scripture to teach your children, to teach yourself these things, to remember these things. If you're watching, if you're watching, which is what I want us to do as a congregation, if you're watching, you will see God at work in this land. It's good news. It's good news because if you, no matter what the news station that you watch, watch where you're aligned politically, I want you to know that your first allegiance should be to God. That He is the one, He is the one who is your leader ultimately. Otherwise, you know, when you read the 23rd Psalm, what are you going to say? The Lord is, well, starts right there, doesn't it? Is the Lord your shepherd? Are you a sheep of his pasture? Do you follow after him? That's, that's a statement. That is a statement of allegiance that David is making right there at the beginning of the 23rd Psalm. So by the time you get to verse 4, yea, though I walk, a statement of where I'm at in this world today, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I'm not going to pay attention to the evil empire around me that seems to dominate this world right now. Isn't that a really wacky interpretation of I will fear, I, I will not fear? I mean, so I loved the, sticker the stickers that came out several years ago, fear not. People put them all over their trucks in the south, particularly. Or I liked the other ones that said, fear this. More aggressive, I guess. Or the other one that says, this truck is guarded by a 357. You know, there are people like that. People that live in fear. Because this empire, this empire in this world runs on fear. You want to know the difference in my mind? The difference between the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world? It's very simple. The kingdom of this world runs on a system called fear. The kingdom of God runs on a system called love. It's just that simple. If your motivation is fear, my friends, you are not being motivated by God. I'm just going to make that a categoric statement. If what motivates you in life and what you see other people being motivated by in life is love then you have to admit that whoever that individual is, they are being motivated by God. 
And you could say, but pastor, they're an atheist. They don't even believe in God. Uh-huh. A few questions in, and you'll help them to realize that what motivates them is God. Because God is what? Love. And God is good. So if somebody is doing good, my friends, they are following God. God, whether they like it or not, whether they understand it or not, He is the one that is motivating them. So, that was last week. This week we continue, and, and, and the, title, the title gives it away. Actually, the picture gives it away. This is your memento for today. You can put it on your fridge for this week, because there will be another nice picture from Amy next week. This is the picture for this week, and it is a picture, I said, make us, make us want to be at this table. You see, the picture is of a big Italian family, and they're in, a, in an orchard or, or a vineyard, okay, and, and, and they, are, they are eating along this big, huge table, they're eating really good food. Now, now the blue zone, how many of you know about blue zones? Okay, we're pretty proud of this, I think, as Adventists, because of all the world, uh, Loma Linda is considered a blue zone. Well, guess what? There are places in Italy that are also considered blue zones. And no, they're not vegetarian. And yes, they do have wine. Okay? But they're saying that these kinds of situations where the family gathers together, where there is love, where there is inclusion, where there is community, is where people live longer and have happier lives. So, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Okay, well, I, I, I would be happy if all that you took away from today was this picture and said, you know what? Jesus has promised that there's going to be a table like this where all of his family is going to sit down. Mm. I don't know about you, but that, um, that's something I can't have right now because I don't have all my family. And I don't mean because I don't live by them. But, you know, we all think about those, those family members that have gone on already and that you can't get together with anymore. You can't have what you see here, you see, because Jesus says it's going to take a big change in the world today for this to happen again. He's going to have to come back. He's going to have to remake this world and he's going to have to remake us New bodies, that's so cool, I can't wait. Uh, and then we're going to get to sit around the great banqueting table of heaven. Jesus interacted with his disciples and even disappointed them tremendously. Hope you... Hope you know and understand that. When Jesus died, his, his, his disciples were, were terribly disappointed. But he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to know that the hope today that you can give 
to someone else is that you yourself may be a, a broken, uh, needy individual, but the Holy Spirit has been accepted into your life. And because you have been infilled by the Holy Spirit, you do actually have something to share. I simply am someone who has begged for the bread of life. He has given it to me. And because I have received it, I actually have some to share with someone else. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we pray. Is because we want the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. So that when we are called upon by God, there is actually something in us that is good. And that good is God. And we then can share him. This is what happened to the, to the people in the upper room. And as we learned last week, somebody, somebody like Peter, who previously, just days you know, before, had been swearing, had been telling people, no, I'm not part of this guy's uh, a group of, of, of people. Now he is saying, I'm definitely part of his group and I definitely am filled with the Holy Spirit and I, I definitely want you to know that if you want a piece of this, you need to repent and be baptized and you too can have a piece of this. And so 3,000, a very biblical number, 3,000 people are baptized in one day. They, they have this, this new experience. Okay, So, so uh, if you come up here afterwards, here, I mean literally, physically right here, you can look in here and you can see that I have painted the baptistry. Thinking, oh my goodness. Yes, I know, I didn't call you. <laughs> I got it done. It's this new rubberized paint. Because if you care to notice, you know, there's been a leak in our baptistry. And I, th I said to myself, we need to use this baptistry. And so we needed not to leak. And so I had the time. And so I painted the baptistry with this new, as seen on TV, rubberized paint. We're going to see how good it is. Because we're going to fill this baptistry and we're going to, you know, we're, we're looking at asking the individuals who have been studying for baptism and or I'm going to say right now that if you know somebody who is interested in baptism, might as well tell me now because we're going to fill it up. And, and if there's somebody who wants to say, I would like to be known as someone who follows Jesus Christ. And is willing to make him the shepherd of my life, the leader of my life. Please tell me that. Understand that I understand that there are two things that happen usually in an Adventist church around this issue. One is baptism. The other is church membership. I also understand that there are a number of people who love Jesus but have questions about the church. I definitely understand that. I do too, okay? And I think that it is healthy for us to hold the church accountable to Jesus. So if you want to be baptized, but you still have some questions about the church, come talk to me. Because there are a lot of people who are going to tell you today, and maybe you've even heard this phrase, oh, I'm not into religion. In fact, they'll even be very suave and sophisticated, and they'll say, oh, I'm not really into organized religion. This is an organized religious service. 
I work with a number of people and we organize it for you every week. Okay, a number of years ago, like in the early 60s, there was a group of people who decided, we're going to build a church on a chicken farm. Yes, this was a chicken farm. This five-acre lot was a chicken farm. We're going to build a church here because we want to be organized. We want to come to this place every week. We want to have a nice place to hear about Jesus, to be baptized, to do the organized thing. Well, there's some people who say, you know what, I don't need any of that. I just need a relationship well, I just need to believe whatever I want to believe. Well, when they come in contact with Jesus because of something you have said or something I have said, and they want to be part of a community, they want this experience. They want to sit around the table with us. That takes a little more organization, and, and, it, and it means something. And so uh, I'm, I'm hoping it means good things. We were saying in my uh, class this morning, that I'm, I'm hoping that when you think of the Seventh-day Adventist church, that it gives you hope. Okay? And I didn't just say Jesus, because I'm, 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 I guess I'm assuming that, that you're going to find Jesus in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Yes? That's my hope. And that when you find him, you find a group of people who are not only looking forward to his coming, the great appearing but are also saying we would like to live now in this valley of the shadow of death in a way that it looks like we're part of his family. And that coming together on a Sabbath like this is simply the opportunity to remember Jesus, to hear from Jesus, and to encourage each other to follow Jesus. And that a baptismal situation like this simply means, hey, hey, I'm with Jesus. And then usually the pastor flips everybody into a, uh, a business meeting, because that's what it is, right? I'd like to entertain a motion. What's that? That's a business meeting. And that's the business meeting of the church. And that's a superpower, by the way, all you old Adventists, that is the superpower of the local church. No other part of the church is gifted with the power to bring people into the Adventist church or, unfortunately, sometimes to throw them out. Not the conference, not the union, not the general conference. It is the power invested in you as the congregation to say to somebody who says, I've been baptized, I've accepted Jesus, I'm looking forward to his second coming, and I'm going to order my life according to his principles in this world right now. May I please be a part of what you are doing in Santa Clarita, that you all have an opportunity to say yes or no. It's a pretty powerful moment. But it just goes right past when we see the pastor standing here in the baptistry with somebody who's just been baptized, and then we go into phase two real fast. So I'm, I'm just letting you know that I understand there are two things that happen. There's baptism and there's church membership. But that's how we bring people into membership in our community. It's really because they want this. They want to sit around the table with us, and my prayer is that 
that experience for them will be like living in a blue zone. You live a better life. Not just in the future, but now. You know, I, do we have to wait? Do we have to wait to have that, that community experience and uh, that around the table experience until we get to heaven? Do we ha- that is not what I see in Acts chapter 2. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. There's a pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring yours. And, and, and I understand people also have them on their phones. And so you can, you can you know, stop looking at Facebook. And <laughs> I know you are. I, I, I see you. I see you. It's okay. It, <laughs> okay. Peter addresses, Peter addresses the people in Acts chapter 2. And then he says, he says this. Well, actually, Luke says this. He reports afterwards. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, I'm going a little too fast here because in my Bible, I've actually put numbers. And there's about 11 things that you can notice about what happened after 3,000 people decided that they wanted to be part of the community. They devoted the, themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Now, apostleship was basically granted to people who had seen Jesus, had had interaction with Jesus. And to fellowship, again, I want to thank Denise for her service in the area of potluck, but we're now changing it to fellowship lunch. Happens twice a month, first and third Sabbaths of the month. It's a new idea, really. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking bread. Okay, here we go. That's the picture on the front of your your cover. This this could be a picture of the Acts chapter 2 church right here. Okay. Do Do we need food to exist? Yes. Do we need friendship? Yes, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay, here we are in a house of prayer today and, and we're, we're praying and praising and we're hearing from God. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I want you to know that these were people who had their eyes open for the movement of God in their midst and even outside of their midst. So this is, this is why, you see, I'm wanting us to have our eyes open to watch for what God is doing. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Everything. Now, that doesn't extend to, I mean, like wives and husbands and stuff. But Verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he or she had need. Okay? No one, was, no one was left out. Well, hold that thought. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there became, you could say, there was a community that developed 
And day by day, they did several things, and they did them together. And the people were not left out. But let's just continue to the next verse, which I think is so amazing. Praising God, and in here, are you listening? And enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, where was this taking place? This was taking place in Jerusalem. This is, this is the capital of, you could say, the religion that God had put in place. The, the, the religious, uh, uh, the proper word, if you want it, you can take it home, cultus. Okay, the, the actions that people were told to do by God, the whole sacrificial system is rooted in Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus is killed. This is where Peter says, you murdered him. And this is where he says, you need to repent and be baptized and follow him and be filled with his Holy Spirit. So you can see the progression right down to today when we're saying the same thing. And we're not wanting to be those who reject Christ. We're wanting to be those who follow Christ. So when these people here at Pentecost, they're all gathered together from so many parts of the world, and we have that moment where Peter speaks, and by the time his words reach, this is now supersonic timing, <laughs> by the time his words reach their ears, they are hearing in their own language. And there in Acts chapter 2, you can see all the different language groups that are mentioned. So a miracle happens on that day. People call it the speaking in tongues. That Peter had the gift of speaking in tongues. I believe that the Holy Spirit had the gift of taking his words and changing them and interpreting them for other people for the purpose of the mission, which was to save everyone. Is that going to happen again? Does it happen today? I believe it does. I believe I've heard of modern day moments when people have spoken and other people have heard in their own language. God is going to do, my friends, whatever he has to do to get a hold of people because he loves everyone and he wants to save everyone. So he is going to do these miraculous signs. And what we're being told is that in this moment, after these 3,000 people are baptized and they come together, what happens? Well, the picture that I am seeing here, just quite bluntly, is of what Israel should have been. When you see this picture, you see a people whom God has blessed, whom God is supporting, whom God is leading. And the people in Jerusalem watch this, this new group come into being and they look at what is happening in that new group and you know what they say? This is cool. This is what I know we should have been. I reviewed with our Sabbath school class this morning the fact that when God gave Israel their own land, he put into place several ways that they should live. The book of Ruth. What do we see Ruth doing when she, uh, when she does what her mother-in-law, remember Ruth is not an Israelite, she's a Moabitess, she doesn't know these traditions, but Naomi tells her to do what? Go and glean what is gleaning? Picking up the leftovers. 
Could it be that we could partner with organizations in the here and now that pick up the leftovers for those who don't have? Do you even know of any such organization? I know one. It's called Second Harvest. They deal with the wholesalers. I'm sorry to tell you this about America, but over 50% of the food that is harvested in this country never makes it to the table. And of that which makes it to the table, there's a huge amount that gets wasted, yeah? I mean, come on, children. When mom says to eat all your food, if you don't, what happens to it? Into the garbage, right? Those peas and carrots that mommy says are good for you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. They are good for you. And if you waste them, they're going to be thrown away. So that person who grew the carrots, uh-huh, they grew them for nothing. That's what happens in this country. So you have groups like Second Harvest who will work with churches or other civic organizations to drop off whole crates of food. Just ask our church in Simi Valley. They get a semi-delivery of food that is given to anyone, rich, poor, doesn't matter. If you know about this, you can be part of it. They unload pallets of food every week in the parking lot of the Simi Valley Seventh Adventist Church. Free. Because it is going to waste if it is not used in this fashion. It is going in the trash, into the landfill. And this is edible food. This is not cans that are overdated or outdated somehow, although there is that going on as well. So you have a community that cares, and they care enough to make sure that everybody eats. They have a community that cares that says, we will make arrangements for people. Okay? Now this is, this is just the one piece of it. This is just the one piece of it. But when people see, when people around them see that they are interested in living this kind of a life around the fellowship table and taking care of each other, the Bible is very clear, my friends. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. I want you to know that in this world today, the millennial generation, the younger people generation that is coming up, my friends, is judging us. And we are found wanting. We don't get a good grade if we are not involved in the doing of good to humanity. Whatever you want to say about the current leader of the Catholic Church. He gets huge points for the good that he does for humanity. No? Uh, am, I, am I lying? He has the moral high ground in that department. If we are not involved in similar types of actions that people associate with Christianity... We lose credibility. It doesn't matter that we worship on Sabbath. It doesn't matter that we believe Jesus is coming soon. If we are not 
doing the things that help humanity in the here and now. That's the, that's the scorecard. Sorry to tell you, if you didn't think that that was the scorecard, that's the scorecard. It was the scorecard back in the beginning in Acts chapter 2. If we, if we live like, if we do these kinds of things, I believe, and it is well documented that others who have done these things get the same grade as the people in Acts chapter 2. Our fellow church down in San Diego took on the idea that the 70 plus thousand uh, 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 political refugees that were dumped on San Diego a number of years ago, and in fact I believe that number has, has more than doubled recently, um, that they would do what they could to help these new immigrants to America to be able to be spooled up into our society and survive. Well, what did they need? Well, they needed food. And in fact, they, they, they didn't just say, here's some food. They said, here's a plot to grow the food that you like, the food from your country that you like to eat, that you know how to fix. And it became this, this double blessing because not only did the people come and grow their own food in the way in which they knew how to grow it, which gave them satisfaction of being associated again with their food, but then they were able to sit around their own table and have fellowship with individuals who had helped them to grow their own food. They needed to speak English. Let's face it, we are the laziest English-speaking nation on the earth. If you go to most other parts of the world, there are at least two or three languages taught in school, and one of them is English. Thank God our first, la first language is English. If you ask Garland, his second language is Patois. <laughs> okay, or Filipino. Tagalog, sorry. Tagalog, I, I, I knew that, I knew that. Okay. Or Thai. Or, there's so many languages in the world, but everybody has to speak English. So the church said, let's have English as a second language classes. People need the computer. Let's teach them how to use the computer. So this church in San Diego has put together this ministry and it's going. Do you know what's happened? They have enjoyed the favor of those who see what they are doing. In fact, not only have they enjoyed the favor, they have had people come and say, can I help? These are people who are not Christians. These are people who are not associated already with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but these are people who are seeing that the Spirit of God has fallen upon this group and they are helping humanity and they are saying, I want a piece of that. See, I, I don't know, we're, we're not at an Amway, we're not, a, we're not at, a, at, a, at a pep rally, but I'm, I'm just going to say we are. We're, we're, I'm, I'm definitely pepping you up, A, to be associated with the God of heaven who is your provider, and B, to spread the joy and the love of what he has given you with whomever you come in contact with in your network. And then who they know who might need help. And so it goes and so it goes. I call it God's multiplication. It's a geometric, those of you in math, you know what I'm talking about. It's a geometric progression. One plus one is two, two plus two is four, four plus four is eight. You get my point? So how does he expect us to reach the world? 
It's called a geometric progression. And again, those of you in math know what I'm talking about. Because once you start getting millions, it doesn't take very long because the addition means you're not just one plus one anymore, you're millions plus millions. So a long time ago, it became a phrase that was used in our church, each one reach one. You want to participate in God's economy of bringing people into, into community with him, each one reach one. Just, just sharing with one person extends the border of the, 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 the community in which we live as Christians and brings, brings that individual into our circle so that they too can experience the blessings of being part of the circle of the family of God. It's not about, please, 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 it's not about the building of the Adventist empire. At least this, this pastor believes that. Those days need to go away. When we had that attitude, well, let's just say that the results were not pretty. I just have to say one word. Rwanda. Do you know that when that massacre took place, there was 90% of the country who are Christian. And that we as Seventh-day Adventists had been in that country for 90 years. Years. We'd been doing mission in Rwanda for 90 years when that massacre took place. Just let that sink in. If you're a results-oriented person, like I am, where you want to know that what you do is actually accomplishing what you would like it to accomplish, if you want to know that your love for humanity is actually helping to change lives, then you better know what you're doing. You better know what you're offering. You better know, my friends, and this, this strikes really close to my heart, you better know what you are inviting people to be a part of. Yes, we, we, we just did the Boonstra meetings. And no, we didn't, we didn't all agree that this was the best mode of action. And I'm going to say, thank God for Brother Boonstra and what he's doing. He's a good teacher. And he, he, he does things that, that even tweak my thinking, and, and, and that's good. But the fact is, we are all called, as part of this community of faith, we're called to go and to ask other people to come and be a part of this community of faith. And yes, I want them to come and worship on Sabbath. Believe me, and for very good reasons, very, very godly-focused reasons. I want, I want my church to be a place where people find healing, where people, people find friendship, where people want to be around the table. Okay? Believe me, as leadership team, we're, we're working on ways of getting in touch with you. 
Because sometimes we put opportunities to be around the table out there. And yes, I'm about to spank you. We're not having the chili cook-off. Because y'all told us you didn't want to get together. That's okay. I understand. You have other things to do. So what I do want you to know is that you need to let us know as your leadership team the kind of things that you do like to get together for. Okay? Because we're getting together, at least the social committee is getting together uh, very shortly and it would be really great if you would call me or call Paula and say, you know what, if you guys did this, there'd be 25 people who would come. Let me give you an example. Yesterday I picked up the t-shirts for the watering station on the Santa Clarita Marathon. Did you know there is a whole group of people in the Santa Clarita area, not all of them come to this church, but some of them are associated with this church, who decide that they are going to hand out water at water station number two. Thank you, Linda, for organizing this. They're going to hand out water at water station number two at 6.30 in the morning. Because it's at the beginning of the marathon, see? So they're going to hand out water. They get t-shirts. And you know what? This particular group of Filipinos does this every year. And they, they want to they, they do this. So that's why I'm saying, if there's, a, if there's a thing that you believe that there's 10 or 20 or 30 people who, they, if, if we said, if we, let's go do that. <laughs> if, if we said, let's go do that, you'd have 10 or 20 people. Okay? The fact that you're here this morning tells us that you still want an 11 o'clock service on Sabbath morning. Yes? Yes. <laughs> Well, that was sort of convincing. Uh, uh, you, you, could drive, you could drive just a little further and get another one if you wanted at another church. Uh, how many of you, how many of you uh, value, I'm going to say that there's about 10 of you who value a Sabbath morning uh, lesson study. Okay. Okay. The rest of you are saying... I need to come at about 11. I am not getting up any earlier. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this not, and, and not to, not, again, not to beat you, but to elicit information from you that will be helpful to us as a community so that we can have lots of these kinds of experiences that are meaningful to you to which you would be interested in inviting your friends. You know, I understand that many of you have lots of friends and, and your dance card is full and you don't have a lot more room in your life to be friendly. And I mean that that is because of time. And again, this is not beating you up or anything. It's, it's just reality. You're busy. You don't have time. It just won't work. So we need to know, do we just do a little bit of stuff together or do we... Just say, forget it, 11 o'clock Sabbath morning, that's, when I'm, that's the time I can give you, and that's it. Please tell us. We would really, really like to know. Because this, this thing of inviting other people into our church, I need to know as a pastor, when I invite somebody to come and be a part of this congregation, 
what they are going to receive when they become part of our congregation. Now, I'm talking reality here. I'm not talking about the sweet by and by today. I'm talking about living in community right in the valley of the shadow of death. And I don't mean that it's just Santa Clarita. It's the whole world. And until Jesus comes, he has said that he would like us to live in this kind of community. This this Acts chapter 2 community in which the people outside of that community looked inside that community and said, you know what, that's great. That's, that's so cool what they're doing in that church or in that, in that congregation. I, I think I want... Maybe, maybe I'll go and I'll help them because I, I've always wanted to help out with something like that. So then that's, that's our question, you see, is what, what are we actually involved in? What are we doing that other people would like to come and be involved with when it comes to the mission that God has given the church today? If there isn't anything, then I'm just going to tell you, it's making my job really hard. Okay? Because I have to know. I have to know, to what am I inviting people when I invite them to come and be part of our congregation? To what are you inviting people? I'm hoping that it resembles, that it's something like this chapter, Acts chapter 2, that it's, that it's this group of people that love each other, that care for each other, that, that look after each other. I'm hoping Because that's what I want to invite people to. Quite honestly, it is hard for me to just invite the Baptist brother and sister to change their day of worship, their attendance to church from Sunday to Saturday without all the rest. It's a little tough. Now, I know it's right, and I'm not backing down from it. But it's, it's the other stuff. It's the other stuff. It's the friendship. It's the care. It's the action. It's the ministry. I want to. I want to invite. I want to invite people because you know what? We don't have enough. I want us to be in a situation where we're doing stuff that we don't have enough active people in our church, and therefore I have to get on the phone to my new friend who I met at the club and say, you know what? We're doing this thing. Uh, uh, it's in your community. W- would you come and help us? And he's going to be saying, oh, he's inviting me not to church service. He's he's inviting me to help out feeding the homeless. Oh, that's cool. I'm great. I'm great with that. So back to my meeting of the founder of Family Promise last night. That's simply how she got started. She started doing something in her community where she believed that people should not have to put up with homelessness in their situation and they were powerless to change it. And she realized that they needed a hand, not a handout, but a hand up. And so today there are over 250 affiliates, 250 towns in North America today that have a Family Promise affiliate. Do you know that there's over 200,000 volunteers in this organization? And this lady, this lady just said, you know what? You as a church, you can help out if you want. 
And there are over 250 places where churches are being used to house homeless children and their families. I say praise the Lord. I say this is a marvelous thing that we can be involved in. And I, I want you to know, as I said to you before, this is one of the best things. Now, now you see why, right? <laughs> this is one of the best things about this congregation is because it legitimizes our claim to be Christian. Because people look at us kind of funny, you know. They look at us as, oh, those people who worship God on the seventh day. So, I mean, we're already starting behind all the other Christian churches. Do you understand that? They want to know why we worship on the seventh day, sure. But you know what? I would prefer, and this is maybe my own bias, I would prefer for them to know us by our love before they know that we worship on the seventh day. And that happens because we do things that show people that we love them. And, and guess what? Uh, there ain't an atheist in Santa Clarita that could say that family promise is a bad thing. In fact, I happen to know that there are atheists that help with family promise because it's a good thing to do. Hey, guess what? Those atheists are helping God. Those atheists are living by godly ethics. Whether they agree, whether they understand, I don't care. Because all good things come from God. Amen. Folks, uh, thanks for letting me talk very straight to you today. Uh, I, I want you to know that, that the, the heart of God is revealed in our actions. And this congregation makes me so proud to be a part of this church as we do these things in the community. I can go with my head held high and say, you know what, this is what we're doing. You want to come join us? That's the sort of thing that you can be doing, not only watching what others are doing, but you as a community of faith here in Santa Clarita can be doing this as well with the knowledge that God is blessing, God is providing the resources, God is the one who is setting this up. And until he comes, we can be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.